to Totalus Rankium. This week, Theodosius. And welcome to Roman Emperors Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all the emperors from Augustus to Augustus. And this is, don't laugh, episode 69. Hooray! Theodosius. Ooh, Chef Papa's just for that. <laughs> yes, we should. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, before we start, though, I need to say a big thank you to one of my biggest fans. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're just going to rub this one yeah. in, are you? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to rub it in hard. Yeah. Uh, so, Tyler McKinney, <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> So it's when when you reach the heights we've risen to, Rob. Sometimes you get you know your fans and stuff, and apparently I'm I'm the best person in the world, or, or something along those lines, or his favourite person. Yeah. In the world. Was it in the world or just out of us two? Because that's setting the bar quite low, to be honest. True. Yeah. But thank you, thank you, Tyler, <laughs> my new BFF. Fine, I'll, I'll get someone to say something nice about me one day. <laughs> Your partner won't, won't, so no one else will. No. <laughs> so that's really mean. <laughs> so give Rob some love. Say something nice to Rob. I mean, it's, it's not why I do this. It's not why I decided to do this at all. <laughs> just want someone to say something nice. <laughs> right. With that little aside, yeah. shall we start? Yeah, we Because, start. A, Theodosius is possibly the last of the long episodes we're going to oh, do. They probably get a bit shorter after this. And two, this is possibly the latest we've ever started recording. Yeah, I think yeah. you might be right. So yeah. uh, we started at what twenty twenty past six. Yeah. In the evening. Yeah, we we don't go for very late ones. This isn't no. still isn't that late. No. I listen to some podcasts where they start recording at like ten in the evening. What? I don't know. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. I'm in bed by that time. Yeah. Anyway, Theodosius. Theodosius. Let's do this. He was born Flavius Theodosius. <laughs> On the 11th of January, 347. 11th of Jan. That ring, date rings a bell. Yeah? Don't know why, but it does. If you're listening and that's your birthday, well done. Happy birthday to you. Happy, well, not today. No, no. So if it's your birthday today, happy birthday. Yeah. Um, if it's been your birthday in the last year, happy birthday. Oh, thank Let's you. just cover all the bases. <laughs> yes. He was born in Hispania. Ah, Spain. Yes, thank you. His father was, of course, the great Count Theodosius. Wah, uh, uh, uh. And his mother was Flavia Thamantia. Thamantia. Yes. Weird word. Yes. Weird name. And together they had two sons, the aforementioned Theodosius and another boy named Honorius. 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 H-O-N-O-R-I-U-S. Hmm. Not the future emperor, for those of you reading ahead. No, this is the brother of Theodosius, and we never hear of him again. So okay. if you wrote his name down, you might as well rub it out. So yeah, we just don't know what happened to him. So right. as per usual, insert what happened to him at any point. Brilliant. So the family were a devout Nicene Christian family. Oh, Nicene. Ooh, yes. that's anti-Aryan, isn't it? That is anti-Aryan. Ooh. You know your Aryan anti-Aryan yes, Christianity. Yes, I do. Yes, they were well-off aristocrats who claimed to be descendants of Julius Caesar himself. Ooh. Yes. I'm guessing everyone else just used to cough swear words whenever they claimed that. (laughs) (laughs) Because there is certainly no evidence for this whatsoever, but that's what they used to say. There was also a chance, as we covered in his episode, that Magnus Maximus was related to this family and even stayed with them for a while. Okay. 
But apart from this, there's very little on the childhood of Theodosius. So we are just going to skip right away to him age 21. Good age. Which incidentally is the same age that Valentinian II committed suicide. Wow. So we've already covered the entire life period of Valentinian II. <laughs> that was fast. <laughs> yeah. So, we're now in 268. Theodosius's father, the Count, is called up to lead the pacification of Britain. Ooh, yeah. This is the Great Conspiracy, where the Franks and the Saxons and the Picts and the Scots all revolted under the Emperor Valentinian. Ooh. Valentinian had already sent a couple of generals and failed miserably to take back the island, so the Count was called for. Presumably... Count Theodosius had impressed by this point, and that's why he was given command. Sailed across the sea, attacked. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. That's what he did. Glad I could contribute. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He headed into Britain, but he did not go alone. Ooh. No, no. Which would be quite worrying. Right, I'm off. Uh, Do you you want to take the army at all? We've got like 100,000 men waiting. No? Okay. Fair enough. If if you've got this, you've got this. Yes, no. Not only did he take an entire army with him, he also took Magnus Maximus and his son, Theodosius. Yes, this is when, yes. Isn't it we thought he took Magnus Maximus? Like, it's possible, but... Oh, no, we're we're fairly certain Magnus Maximus was on this part. We just don't have any details about what he did when he was there. Okay. So this is where Theodosius and Magnus would have learnt how to command... The Count impressed everyone with his divide-and-conquer techniques against the Picts and the Scots. And once the revolt was put down, the Count returned to the mainland and then fought against the Alamanni for a while. Yeah, remember that? Barbarians. Yeah, and again Theodosius joined him. Theodosius by this point was making a name for himself, and after a couple of years, at the age of 27, he was given a command all of his very own... Maybe as a birthday present. <laughs> just wrapped up a legion in a bow just outside the tent. Oh, brilliant. And it's like, come on, right. son, look what we got outside. That'd <laughs> be really stupid. What is it? What is it? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I've always wanted that. <laughs> About turn. <laughs> oh. <laughs> follow what I say. <laughs> yes, Theodore's just very excited. <laughs> he was promoted to docks. Yes. What? Oh, yeah, it's like the equivalent of a duke. Yes. Yeah. Not but literally a duck. More humorously named back then. Yeah, yeah, they had sure. to change it at some point just because people kept laughing all the time. Yeah. And making duck jokes. <laughs> I'm your ducks. Wah. Yeah. It's not a joke, that's an impression. <laughs> I want a joke. Um, send me the bill later. Hey. hey. Bill for what? Damn it. <laughs> So as you can see, that that was going on all the time, so they had to change yeah. it to Duke. Yeah. <laughs> Not surprised. Yeah. One of rubbish jokes like that. So off he goes, still a duck, and off he goes to Moesia, which is in the Danube region, and he was told to take care of the Sarmatians, a group of barbarians that we've not talked about much, but they were hanging around okay. as well. And this meant two things. One, he could not go with his father to Africa to fight with Firmus. Oh. You remember, the Count goes to Africa with Magnus, yep. and they do horrific things to people. Yes, they do. <laughs> the Count enjoys a bit of mutilation. He does. Hands, oh. all the hands. Yes. So, Theodosius isn't there for that. And the second thing this does is means he's well-placed to deal with the upcoming barbarian invasion. Hey. Now, if you remember from Valentinian's episode, Marcellinus, who was in charge of fortification building 
in neighbouring Pannonia, had angered the Quadi by killing one of their kings after dinner. Yes. Quadi, enraged, invade in full force. Oh dear. Seeing the nearby Quadi doing quite well for themselves in Pannonia, the Sarmatians took the opportunity to invade Moesia. Fair. Do you know what? When, when we first started this podcast, I thought it was Mauricia, and you just pronounce it in a really dodgy way. Oh, it's actually Mauricia. Yeah. yeah, it is. There you go. Live and learn. Yeah. yeah. I had to check on Wikipedia. <laughs> Has Rob just got an impediment? No. No. Is this what you do at the end of every episode when I'm driving home and you're just here Googling everything I've told you? To just fact checking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was he talking about? <laughs> fool. Where, where is this Rome? <laughs> yeah. Well, it is Moesia. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's being invaded by the Salmations. Oh, dear. However, they did not fare quite as well as their barbarian allies, and Theodosius uh-huh. was able to fight them back. Well done, Theodosius. Yeah. That's a tick in the fightiest Maximus column. Shortly afterwards, news arrives of Valentinian's shouty death, and we enter the murky political story that we can't quite decipher. Yeah. This is where it's, yeah, we don't really know what happened, we just know the outcomes. So we've already covered a couple of the outcomes, yeah. such as Valentinian's death. And Valentinian II was made the emperor by the general Malabordes. Yeah. Yes. And Count Theodosius was executed in Africa. Yes, because of the, the magical thing. They thought, oh, it's about, like, Theo. So, that was one yeah. of the theories by one yeah. historian. That's one it's, I liked. It's the one I liked, so we're saying yeah. that, but that is just speculation. Um, it's not hugely clear why all these things happened, but they did happen. Yeah. It's also not clear what happens to Theodosius at this point. It would appear that there was an anti-Count Theodosius faction in Gratian's court, and they used Valentinian's death as a window of opportunity to kill the elder Theodosius. Oh. The younger Theodosius, our Theodosius, seems to have run for it. <laughs> run away. And he headed back to home to, in Spain, hoping for everything to blow over. Probably returning, like, what's-his-name-in-Gladiator. He ran away to Spain to go home, oh, didn't he? Um, Maximus. Yes. Yeah. In my head, his name is Phytius Maximus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my name is Phytius Maximus. <laughs> my yeah. name is Maximus. Phytius Maximus. Is that the little-known Russian Roman? Yes. Yeah, meeting Bond. <laughs> yeah. Who was Severus? Oh, yes, yes, he was. Yes, he was. So there we go. That's that sort of... Shocking. <laughs> so we know that... Theodosius runs back to Spain. Now, either the anti-Theodosius faction was too weak to take Theodosius's land, or they were overthrown before they could do so. Either way, Theodosius gets back to Spain and has a place to retire. But that's good. That is good. And in fact, he spent three years in this political exile. He would have spent his time on local politics, probably. Gambling debts. Drains. Drain. Oh, yeah. Wheelie bin collection. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. TV licences. Yes. All those things he was sorting out. It was a step down for him, but he got he got on with it. Yeah. Yes. He also met his wife, his first wife at this time, Aelia Flaccia. Or Flaccia. They're very Italian sounding now, aren't they? They are starting to sound more Italian, yes. And together, they had two children. A daughter, Pulcheria, and a son, Arcadius. Never heard of Arcadius. Does he become an emperor? Well, at this stage, it's unlikely that Theodosius thought that he would ever become much more than he was. Mm. And it would be very unlikely that he would have thought that the son he just had would become Emperor of the East one day. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yes, Arcadius is, in fact, our next episode. All right. Spoiler for next week. Yes. Oh, it's nice well, because Theodosius' brother just sent a, a congratulatory fruit basket. 
Oh, that's nice. Yes. I was worried for a moment there. Oh, no, no. But it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so, he's got a couple of children. He's got a middling career. Yeah. Everything's quite nice. But then news comes through that changes everything. Dun, dun, dun. Valence, the senior emperor, was dead. Not only that, he had been wiped out with a large portion of the Empire's army. Yeah, yes. Adrianople has occurred. The Danube was awash with Goths, and there was no one to stop them from doing whatever they wanted. Being a Gothic, then, maybe. Probably. Now, three years is a long time in politics, and it would appear that the anti-Count Theodosius faction were now out, and the pro-Theodosius faction were in. <laughs> Yay! Yes. And they convinced the young Emperor Gratian that the only man for sorting this mess out was the son of the greatest general of their time, <gasps> Count Theodosius. They don't understand that just because their dad was good at something doesn't mean the son will be necessarily good at something. My mum used to be a hairdresser. Doesn't mean I can cut hair. My dad works in a factory making jet engines. Have you not had a go at that? I, I tried once. Yeah? Blew the back wall off. Mm. Into, right into the garden. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, now it's only Lego kit. It's yeah. <laughs> a good job they don't let you know the real stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the Romans never did learn this, I don't think. But maybe we'll come across one emperor, like, in 400 years' time, and somebody <laughs> goes, hang on. Actually, no, to be fair, we already had. Diocletian pointed this That's out. That's true. Yes. Yeah. It just didn't last very long. So, Theodosius is sent for. But don't, let's not forget, Theodosius has made a name for himself as well. Yeah. He did fight back the barbarians in the Danube. True. So he's got experience. Yeah. So this isn't a stupid idea, but I agree with you. Theodosius is not tested at this point. There just seemed to be a bit of a leap of faith here. Now, all this seems to have happened very quickly. Perhaps so quickly that Theodosius and his allies were preparing for something like this. We just don't know. But what we do know that is in, within weeks, Theodosius was travelling to Sirmium and was given the title Master of the Army. Oh, that's a good name to have. It is. And this was seen by everyone for what it was, which is essentially, if you can rid the Danube of all these Goths, <laughs> you can be Emperor. <laughs> Please. If not, you won't care, because you'll be dead. It's hmm. uh, extreme job interviews. Speaking of dead, he just got a message from his brother. Oh, yeah? Yeah, his brother's dog just passed away. Oh, that's really sad. He always got hit by a cart. Oh, Or delivering milk. Theodosius doesn't want that this time, because he's, no. he's trying to get his head in the game. He grew up with a dog, you know. Yeah. It's, that's understandable. It was an old dog, but, you know, still, yeah. it doesn't, it's no less heartbreaking. No, certainly not. So, getting over this tragic news, Theodosius looks around him. He's in the Danube. The Goths are rampaging. They're being led by Fritigern at this point, if you remember. Yes, you mentioned Yes, he's leader of the Goths. They're rampaging the countryside. They are pillaging, taking whatever they want. But a stalemate was quickly developing. Because the Goths could not breach the well-fortified cities, but the Romans could not defeat the Goths on the battlefield. Well, that's better than death. Yeah, it's, it's not terrible. Uh, but it's not great. No. Because the Romans who lived in the area were forced to just run behind the city walls whenever the Goths came near and just watch as all their farmland was stripped of everything. Uh, yeah. And there's no such thing as compensation back then. So, <laughs> no. yeah, you're, you're in trouble once the Goths have gone by. So this was the situation when Theodosius arrived. This yeah. sort of stalemate that's going on. He looked around and realised that the very first thing he needed to do 
was to build an army. Yes. Because they didn't have one. <laughs> so I've got four farmers, a goat, and Jeff. Oh. Well, first of all, goat, well done. You are now in charge. <laughs> You've been promoted. <laughs> Jeff, you carry all the luggage. Yep. So they need troops. Lots and lots of troops. And in the words of Game of Thrones, winter was coming. Ooh. Don't spoil it. So, so they had some time. The fighting season would soon start again, however, and when it did, they had to be ready. So they set up headquarters in Salonica in Greece, and Theodosius set about building an army from scratch. First, he scraped together what professional soldiers there were, still were in the region. Yeah. This produced some good soldiers, but far, far too few. Because ah. most were dead. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they clearly weren't good soldiers then, were they? No, bit of a harsh attitude there. Well, I'm the people mowed down in. in... No, I'm cutthroat. Yeah, fair enough. Just needs to try harder. <laughs> so then Theodosius decides to issue conscription laws. Ooh, have we heard of that? Um, it's been going on before. Okay. Uh, if you remember, Diocletian had instilled hereditary laws, whereas you had to do what your father did. Okay. He was trying to clamp down on the wandering economy, and he <laughs> figured that if everyone just carries on doing the job of their father, everything would stabilize was his theory, and it kind of worked in a kind of horrible way. <laughs> so Dad, I want to be an actor. <laughs> You'll plough these fields. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like that. So that was going on. So in theory, the sons of all the soldiers were coming into the army, but in recent years, this wasn't really being kept. Yeah. So Theodosius brings back that properly. Okay. So that brings some people in. But this did not swell the ranks enough, so landowners were forced to hand over recruits from their farms. Oh. On top of this, there was a push to crack down on deserters, and the landowners who were using the deserters as cheap labour. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots of soldiers were deserting at this time. It wasn't fun in the army. Yeah. And landowners were more than happy to take on the very cheap labour in return for hiding them. Exactly, and say, well, I'm going to pay you this much. But that's not fair! If you don't work for this, I'm going to grass you up. Yeah, essentially. Also, they're legitimate workers that they had. Yeah. They didn't want to send off to the army to get killed that's because they were making true. money for them. Yeah. So, the landowners, not seeing the big picture here, it's like, give us troops or the barbarians will come and take everything. They were seeing the, the shorter picture. That's not a saying. Yeah. But you know what I mean. I've seen this little picture. That's the, the snapshot. Thumbnail. Thumb, oh, yeah. I like yeah, that. That's the yeah. thumbnail. Nice. Yeah. So, the crackdown, by the way, was if you're a landowner and we find you're hiding troops, we will burn you alive. Oh. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> they weren't messing about here. That's incentive. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but it was still not enough. And nor was conscripting men who had mutilated their thumbs to avoid the draft. Oh. Um, echoes of yeah, or pre-echo of World War One, I, I guess. Yes, this this is interesting. Uh, there was just one throwaway line on this that I found. It didn't explain what these men were forced to do in the army, but apparently they were drafted as well. You couldn't use the excuse of "I've got no thumbs." I guess it's about thumb you can't hold a sword, yeah. so fetching and carrying stuff <laughs> like a cat awkwardly, popping <laughs> <laughs> yeah. things around. I don't know, what would you like do? Carrying crates and moving stuff, I guess, because you'd still need all the, the, the people. Just... I've got it. Horses. Operation Human Shield. Oh! <laughs> oh! Yes. Yes, that's what they probably did. <laughs> so, this swelled the ranks a bit. 
but we're still not up to full strength. So Theodosius then decides that, desperate times, desperate measures, let's pull the troops out of Egypt and hope Egypt doesn't revolt. Because hmm. they probably, surely wouldn't take advantage of that situation, would no, they? No, surely not. So no. that's fine. So they send for some troops from Egypt. He doesn't dare risking pulling out any from Syria yeah, yeah. because Persia is still right there. So he doesn't dare risk that, but he takes some from Egypt. And then finally, realising he's got no other choice, but also because the Romans have been doing this for a while anyway, he turns to the barbarians for mercenaries and fills up the rest of the ranks with Goths and these new guys... The Huns. Oh, really? Yes. So we're starting to see quite a few Huns working for Rome rather than attacking Rome. We've not really seen any Hunnic invasions yet. No, you've been quite quiet about it. Yeah, they're more putting pressure on the Goths, but we are seeing Hunnic mercenaries by this point. I guess in that, if you form an alliance with the Huns against, you know, hey, we can try to get around the Goths if you want, just leave us alone afterwards. (laughs) Okay, we promise. Just don't get any ideas. We won't. Yeah. So, after all this, an army of a decent size was starting to shape up. But numbers do not make an army. And the troops were mostly new and untested. Discipline was a huge problem. (laughs) Theodosius couldn't afford to punish too many of them. Right, soldier, let's go! No, don't want to. About turn! What? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) this is rubbish. (laughs) Which way? Left or right? (laughs) My my left, my... <laughs> just just do the thing with your thumb. I haven't got any. Oh. <laughs> Pick up your sword. Oh, go on. <laughs> yeah, it's not going too well. No. They've got an army, but it's a rubbish army. <laughs> okay. But they're finally able to take on Fritigan and the Goths. Unfortunately, however, if you've been waiting for a tale of amazing battles and revenge for Adrianople, you are going to be disappointed. Aww. Yes. Theodosius fought in the area for the next three years or so, and we have very little detail what happens. I, I bet it was documented, though it got lost in the mists of time. Possibly. We have certainly lost sources. We do know that one of Theodosius's generals, a Gothic man himself, managed a small victory in 379. Okay. But Theodosius realised that large all-or-nothing battles could no longer be fought. He'd spent months scrimping and scraping for enough men after Valen's defeat. If he lost again, it truly would be all over. Mm. There was no reserves anymore. It's bottom of the barrel time now. So it's almost due to like smaller... I break your arm up even smaller and just do small little skirmishes. Yeah, he, he just cannot afford to do a big battle to try and defeat the Goths. Well, that's a good, good change in strategy. Yes, that is true. So knowing this, Theodosius starts on a campaign of attempting to outmanoeuvre the enemy, cutting off food supplies and attempting to split the Grafungi and the Tavungi Goths. Okay. Remember, there were two main groups when they came over. So he's trying to politically beat them. Now, this type of fighting does not make for great stories, but it was a sensible thing to do, I think. Yeah. However, in the winter of 380, Theodosius suddenly becomes very ill. This can't be the end. (laughs) No, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not. But he does become very ill, and many people think it's the end. Things look so bad for him that he got baptised, expecting death. Oh, daughter. Yes, remember, as I said back then, baptism was something you generally did at the end of your life. It's like the last rites sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. If you get baptised, then you're forgiven for everything, and then you go go into heaven, no sin. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, that's how it's done by Get our jail card. Yeah. <laughs> However, a couple of months later... He pulled through. Hey. Hey. Fully believing, of course, that God had pulled him from death's door. That's because nice. he got baptised. He is now 
a wow man again. Yeah, that's good. Um, it's good as well because his brother sent him a card, a little get well soon card. And oh, yeah. Congr- yeah. Congratulatory on that. It's good he's got the support of his brother. Yes. Yes, definitely. He's his rock. Yes. <laughs> Without him, he'd be nothing. Definitely. Like, he's not around, but no. like, they Skype every night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sand pigeons, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Just one of those little pictures where you've got one drawing of a man with a closed mouth and on a piece of paper above it, a man with an open mouth. And when you quickly flick between the two, oh, yeah. it looks like the mouth's moving. Oh, that's nice. They sent those to each other. And Roger repeats what the message is as he's quickly flapping the page. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's nice. Yeah, ancient Skype. Yeah. <laughs> so, Theodosius is not dead. Hmm. Much to everyone's relief. It's around this time, possibly before the illness, perhaps because of the illness, Theodosius starts to push his faith onto people in the Empire. Ooh. So despite the fact that we've still got Goths raging in the Danube, Theodosius is starting to think about the bigger picture here. He's seeing himself yeah. as the Emperor. And he's putting the future of the Empire ahead as well, rather than just fighting, he's sort of like, let's, let's invest in more emperor things. <laughs> yes. Well, he realises that there's been a huge split between the Arians and the yeah. Nicaeans for a very long time, and this needs to be sorted out. It's doing a lot of damage. So he releases an edict. And this is a very interesting edict. And I will quote. It is our will that all peoples ruled by our clemency shall practice the religion which the divine Peter the Apostle transmitted to the Romans. We shall believe in the single deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost under the concept of equal majesty. In other words, we're following the Nicene Creed, guys. We command that persons who follow this rule shall embrace the name of Catholic Christians. The rest, however, whom we judge demented and insane, (laughs) shall carry on the infamy of heretical dogmas, and they shall be smitten with divine vengeance. Oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) So he's basing Vedic Catholicism. Well, yes and no. I I dived into this a bit more. Yeah, the word Catholic derives from... Greek, and just means universal, okay. which was something I didn't know, no, I didn't. so I've learned something, yeah? yeah. And it has been used before to talk about Christianity, okay. the universal Christian religion. Uh, but, but he's just calling his Nicene element, we're now the universal yes, Christianity, this, we're Catholics. Exactly, this solidifies the idea that Nicene Christians are Catholics. So, from now on, I will refer to them as Catholics. Interesting. Yes. So I guess... The Aryan side would be the equivalent of Protestants? Not really. Not quite, because I know that's in more, more the Middle Ages, but... Yeah, the... Martin Luther, but... Yeah, the Aryans just kind of die off at this point. Oh, okay. They kind of fade away. They don't die away completely for another few hundred years, but their their heyday has gone. Oh, OK. So you'll find out why in a moment. <laughs> Brilliant. Death. So having... <laughs> that's not quite that bad, actually. Yeah. So having made this monumental edict... And making making sure that he felt better, Theodosius turns his attention back to the war. Okay. <laughs> so, fight, fight, fight. Oh, I feel a bit ill. By the way, everyone, we're Catholic now. Back to fighting. <laughs> That's quite a monumental social change, though, isn't it? Um, I don't know. Are we just thinking that because, because mm. the name change? I doubt this really affected mo- many people's everyday lives at the time. But it is... It reverberates, then, through history, Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Yeah. So... Sounds that posh, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, I was quite impressed with that, yeah. (laughs) So, back to the war he goes. Unfortunately, though, his illness had not escaped the Goths' notice. 
and they were now attacking with new vigor. Spring comes along and Theodosius fights back. Again, we have few details, but it appears that Theodosius comes off worse for wear in these encounters. He loses a few skirmishes, Ooh. but he certainly doesn't suffer any catastrophic losses. That's probably the beneficial part of him splitting his army up a bit. And yeah, yeah he's small... not fighting massive battles, so when he does lose, it's not actually a big deal. <sighs> yeah, it's more like 10 people die rather than 20 million. Yeah, <laughs> something like that anyway. So after fighting like this for a year, Theodosius time decides it's time to lift morale. Everyone's looking a bit glum, he decided. <laughs> so he travelled to Constantinople for a triumph. Yeah, what? Yes. We must have won something, then. <laughs> this is pure propaganda, this oh, is. Just to cheer everyone up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Look how great I am. Why are you smiling? Guys, I've noticed you're all looking very depressed. <laughs> Shall we go home and celebrate our victory? Um. <laughs> There's free booze. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the war's still raging, but Theodosius puts on a huge display of victory to the people of Constantinople. Excellent. And this seems to do some good. The public seemed to believe that a corner had genuinely been turned. Everything is looking up. And public perception means a lot. That's true. And then a message arrives. What is that? It was from none other than Athanaric, who you will have forgotten about. Yep. Yes, because he was mentioned a few episodes ago in Valen's episode. He was the Gothic leader who had fought Valens. Oh, yes. Refused to step on Roman soil, so they had to sign the peace treaty on the boats in the, yes, the river. Yes, that's ridiculous. Yes. Now, Athanaric refused to come with Fritigern when yeah. Fritigern first crossed the Danube. So he had a group of Goths refusing to move, saying, <sighs> no, we're staying in the mountains, we don't care about the Huns. <laughs> we're not asking for the Romans to help. I hate Romans. Yeah. Yeah. He said. Yeah. <laughs> So there was a message from him. Things apparently were not going too well north of the Danube. The Huns were still raiding, and he was getting old and ill. In fact, he was in such dire straits that he wrote to Theodosius asking for asylum. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Now, Theodosius, this is where we see a spark of, oh yeah, about <laughs> Theodosius. Because he immediately seized the PR potential in this and invited the Gothic king to Constantinople. Nice. Now, I would have been tempted to go, ha! <laughs> <laughs> I thought you couldn't step on Roman soil. A loser! What you gotta do? Hop all the way? <laughs> You're still touching the soil. I'm on a blanket! <laughs> but no, he gets invited to Constantinople. Athenaric and his men were met a few miles out of the city and were escorted to the capital like royalty. Celebrations in their honour were thrown and festivities were held throughout the city. Look, Theodosius was saying, look how Romans and Goths are friends. We don't need to fight. Mm. Please stop fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Our army is rubbish. Nice. Athenaric was stunned by Constantinople and the wealth that it held <clears throat> and stated, whoever lifts a hand against Rome is asking for death. That's beautiful. Theodosius, I imagine, got this printed on T-shirts and handed yeah. them out to anyone yeah. who walked past. Yeah. Send, send 40,000 T-shirts to the Huns, please. <laughs> yes. do, do you think that it's almost like it's the element of shock and awe. Let's bombard them with how spectacular we are. Yeah. To hide the, to hide the crap, to be fair. <laughs> yes. It's like, you know, you know, in Star Wars, you get the attack walkers, the big four-legged walkie things. Yeah, they're awful. 
poorly but, designed. But they're imposing. They're scary. Exactly. Yeah, it's all about the image. Yeah. Definitely. That's that's what he was going for. And it was working. After a couple of weeks, Athanaric dies. There was no suggestion whatsoever of foul play. It was okay. said that he was ill. Okay. However. <laughs> <laughs> so Athanaric is dead. Mm. Some people might see this as a problem, but Theodosius sees it as an opportunity. No, he's a, he's a forward-thinking guy. Yes. He uses this to his advantage. He throws a huge state funeral for the Gothic king. Yes. So he's getting, he's getting the Goths on his side, yeah. isn't he? This is, this is beautiful. All of the Goths that came with Athenaric happily join up to Theodosius's army. Brilliant. The Roman Emperor had treated their king so well, of course they will fight for Theodosius. Now, the amount of men he gets isn't actually that much. It doesn't help his army too much. But the propaganda is wonderful. Yeah. This is not a war of Romans v. Goths. This is civilised Romans and Goths versus a marauding horde. That's great. See, that's true leadership, isn't it? It's impressive. That's very impressive. impressive. I'm, I'm impressed already. Oh, okay. Now, before heading back to the battlefields, Theodosius took some time off to sort the religious problems that were still going on. Because so far, he's just said, right, guys, we're all Catholic now, which was nice. So he calls now an ecumenical council. So another (laughs) universal council where everyone attends. However, the bishops of Rome and Milan, Sir Ambrose, refuse to turn up. Oh. They're not very happy with one of Theodosius's appointments in the East. Uh, There's still some tensions. Silky. So the fact that Ambrose and the Bishop of Rome at the time were not attending, yeah. they put a damper on things. It also didn't help that one of the bishops from Antioch, who was in charge of the meeting, died suddenly during the meeting. Ooh. I'm guessing that means during the period of time the meetings were taking place. I'm, I'm hoping mid-speech. But possibly mid-speech, yeah. <laughs> And I'd like to say it to you all right. Oh dear. Fine and death. I'd like to think that it was a by Jove, I've got it. Actually, probably not by Jove. Oh, brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness, I've got it. I figured it out. The perfect way to join Arians and Nicaeans together. All we need to. And then he died. And there was everyone leaning forward, wide eyed. Father Christmas just grabbing the hand of the Easter Bunny. Is this the moment they finally reconcile? Yeah. Then they both turn look at each other and just like... (laughs) So things are looking very tense. And this is not what Theodosius had in mind. Because what he wanted was an empire with no Arianism and full of Catholics. But eventually the meeting does start to produce some results. It was decided that they best chat about the third part of the Trinity. They'd already discussed a lot about the Father God, and the Son. Jesus. So they talked Holy a lot Spirit. about the Holy Ghost, or okay. the Holy Spirit, yes. Um, he was definitely equal to the Father and the Son, apparently. Okay? okay? Everyone got that? He's equal. And he was preceded from God. Not begotten from God, which the Son was. Oh, this is just semantics, isn't it? Oh, yeah, we're back to arguing over semantics again, <sighs> which was very important at the time. Preceded from God. So, before God? No, no, proceeded, not preceded. Oh, proceeded, okay. So. Shown off from God. <laughs> yeah. Um, this He's is... the first in the parade. <laughs> Do you think this is how the meeting went? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> so. Draw a if, picture. If there was a party, right? Right. 
who would sit at the head of the table? No, no, you've got it all wrong. It's a round table. Oh, it's a triangular table, a surely. Triangular table. Maybe it's, yeah. I think there was lots of discussions like that Can we going have a pyramidal up. Pyramidal table. No, that's got four sides. And someone on top, that won't work at all. Yeah, so there's lots of discussion like this going on. So they also made other decisions that were more down to earth, such as it was decided that the lead bishop of Catholicism was the Bishop of Rome. Oh, okay. Yes. Bit of feel important again. And then Constantinople. Because Constantinople was the new capital. Although it should be noted, this is purely religiously. Yeah. Politically, it was whichever bishop had the emperor's ear. And at that moment in time, it was Ambrose. Yeah. So Ambrose is very much the most powerful bishop. But... Rome is now powerful. Alexandria not very happy about this. Alexandria sees itself as the second city. So a bit of falling out there. But more importantly still, all Aryan clergy were expelled from the church across the entire empire. Which sounds like it's going to be some kind of full-blown throwing bishops into the streets kind of thing, doesn't it? Yeah. But apparently not. Because, and I've got no idea how he managed to do this, but he did, Theodosius convinced all of the Eastern bishops to accept the Nicene Creed. How? I don't know. It just kind of happened. Do you just think he went, come on, guys. <laughs> come on. Come on. We, we need to stop falling out. I mean, this might just be a slow shift in opinion that's been building over time. That sounds likely. There might be a few bribes going on. <laughs> that massive church yes. he wanted. There might have been some compromises, but yeah. there seems to have been less of the throwing bishops into the street and more of an actual acceptance of things. Okay, that's interesting. So Christianity seems to be coming together at this mm. point. At last, most of the empire had one religion, if you just ignore the huge swathes of the population yeah. that were in fact still Aryan or pagan or Jewish or any of the other hundreds of religions at the time. So, good work there, Theodosius. You're, yeah. um, you're bringing the religion of the empire That's together. That's a big silver star. But that war's still not over. No. So he then turns his mind back to the war. He's multitasking here. Another year of fighting follows. But by this point, the Goths are finally being worn down. They were achieving very little, and although they were too strong to be defeated, they were being chipped away at, militarily and diplomatically. It's around this time that Fritigern disappears from all records. So the leader of the Goths suddenly goes. We have no idea why. Maybe he died in a battle. Maybe it was an accident one day. I imagine it's a letter coming from his brothers just saying, you're welcome. <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> in the shadows. Yes. Yes. Maybe one popular theory is that he was disposed of as part of a deal with the Romans. Ah, so, so we'll give in to you, we'll, we'll concede. Yeah. And we'll get rid of the, the idiot. Yeah, it's like... The Romans saying, we'll do a deal with you, but we will not do a deal with him. <laughs> nice. He has annoyed a lot of people. So, the leader of the Goths disappears. So by this point, the Goths are mostly pinned down in Thrace and were starting to talk about peace deals. Mm. As neither side was strong enough to wipe out the other, the deal was something of a compromise. The Goths would stop plundering the land and killing everyone, but they could stay. Yeah. And you can stay in your groups. That's nice. Yes. Put down your swords, pick up some shovels, create some farms, and you can stay, was generally the deal. Oh. Yes. Also, however, if we need people in our army, you will come and fight for us. We like fighting. <laughs> well, the Goths said no to this. Ooh. They said they would fight, but not under the Romans. They would fight alongside the Romans. 
Fair enough. Now, this is very important, and it comes up later. Oh, yes. <laughs> the Goths were able to keep their Gothic commanders and act as an independent force. <laughs> I imagine it doesn't work in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to that. So, this doesn't happen overnight, and it certainly wasn't easy, but it does seem to work. Not everyone was happy about it. There were plenty of people in Rome that thought the Goths should just be destroyed. Yeah. But none could deny that compared to five years previously, things were looking pretty good. Yeah. The empire looked like it was close to collapse before, and now it was all right. It's on more of an upswing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're settling a large number of immigrants with sorts, (laughs) but... Yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> and compared to five years previously, it was fine. It's, things have improved quite substantially. Okay, so, so far, yeah. Theodosia's doing very well. Yeah, it's doing very well. Right, my next part, subheading Maximus. Ooh. It was not long after this that news comes through that Magnus Maximus has revolted. Oh, yeah. And that Gratian had been killed. Now, as mentioned before, there's a chance that Magnus Maximus and Theodosius were related... Yes. So when Theodosius receives the letter from his potential childhood friend, slash cousin, slash maybe someone he never knew anyway, <laughs> Magnus, informing him of his usurpation, Theodosius was probably quite surprised. Oh. <laughs> okay. However, he decided the best way to deal with this was to ignore it. Yes. Completely. He sent the envoys back with no message whatsoever. But this did not mean he was going to ignore the problem. mm First of all, he promoted his son, Arcadius, to the rank of Augustus at the age of six. Brilliant. Next, he made sure that he had some decent people in the correct places. He appointed a new Praetorian prefect for Italy, and he placed Africa under the command of a man who had loyally worked for his father, a man we've come across before. Ooh, Augustus. (laughs) Tiberius. No. Yeah, you could go through all of them. I won't be able to. (laughs) This was a man who worked for Count Theodosius, alongside Magnus Maximus. That's right, it's the humorously named Gildo. Yes! Gildo's back. So Gildo's placed in charge of Africa. Someone that Theodosius knows he can trust. (laughs) It was just a good Gildo. Oh, yes. He also knew that Valentinian II... Ambrose and Justina would stall Magnus Maximus for a while, and in the meantime, he could prepare for the inevitable war. However, this meant that he would need more troops. Having rinsed the Danube dry, this meant that he had to look east. But the eastern forces were important, as I mentioned earlier, because they were all that stood in the way of a full Persian invasion. Yes. So, Theodosius writes a letter to Shahpur. Oh, yeah. Now, you might be thinking Sharpaw is starting to seem a bit like Roger in yeah. that he never goes away. <laughs> <laughs> He's always there. But that's, Roger. <laughs> that's because we don't have an everlasting Sharpaw. This is not the Sharpaw from Julian and Jovian's episode. Right. Who was Sharpaw II? This is Sharpaw the Ninth. <laughs> not quite. We, if you remember, Sharpaw II was crowned when he was in his mother's womb. Oh, yeah. In 309. This is the same time that Diocletian was tending to his cabbages. Yeah, oh, God. That's how long ago this is. We're in 368 now, aren't we? Yeah, he or lasts 36. 70 years. Wow. And he has finally died a few years previously. That's insane. Yes, he dies in 379. <whistles> One of the longest ruling kings people. in our history. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Although there are definitely people who have ruled longer than him. But... 
as I said in a previous episode, I'm not sure if anyone's ever been younger than him when becoming king. Because <laughs> yeah. being king in the womb is impressive. Slight advantage. So when Sharp Hawk... Oh, mention a crown him. Oh, sorry, Karen. <laughs> when, when Sharp Hawk 2 finally dies, his brother Ardisha 2 takes over, only lasts a couple of years, and now Sharp Hawk 2's son, Sharp Hawk 3, has taken <laughs> over the family business. <laughs> Yay. Now, Theodosius actually started his peace talks with Ardisha, but it's Sharp Hawk that takes them over upon his ascending the throne. Now, as you'll remember, relations between the two empires are a bit strained at this mm. point. The peace treaty signed by Julian had been broken by Valens when Pap the Sock Puppet had taken over Armenia. Yeah. Now, due to the illness and death of Sharpport II, nothing much had happened due to that. The Romans caught a lucky break there. Yeah. And they've just kind of gotten away with it. And Theodosius wanted it to stay that way. So envoys from Tessaphon arrive in Constantinople in 384, and then Theodosius sends his own envoys back. A general named Stilicho. Pop a box round his name. He's not going to be an emperor, but he is an important man. Remember mm. Stilicho. Okay. So Stilicho is a vandal. Always breaking the stuff. Da dum. You've got to get a vandal joke in there. Oh, yeah. This yeah. might be... The, is this the first time I've mentioned the vandals? I think you may have mentioned them in the past, but... Might have done. I don't really They've not done much yet. They come into the story later okay. on. Well, it starts about now, really, since oh. uh, we've got Stilicho coming into okay, the vandals. story. Vandals! Woo! So, yes, yeah, Stilicho is a vandal, a fully Romanized vandal, who's lived all his life in the Empire, who has, and you'll be shocked, risen through the ranks and made a name for himself, <laughs> and was favourite of the Emperor due to his military and political skills. Now, over the next few years, negotiations went on and on, but eventually the peace treaty was created. It cost Rome. They had to give up a large portion of influence in Armenia, approximately one-fifth of Armenia now belonged to them politically, and four-fifths to Persia. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So it's not a good deal for Rome, but Theodosius figures it's worth it because it means he could concentrate on the internal problems in the empire, Yeah. i.e. Magnus. However, nothing happens for a while, and the uneasy peace settles. And this is about when he had his second son, Honorius, named after his brother. Oh, speaking of his brother. Oh, yeah. Sent in the fruit basket. Oh, to celebrate the birth of Honorius. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. So it's after me. Oh, he's going to get a, a massive fruit basket. Yeah. Theodosius at this time essentially recognises formally Magnus Maximus, even confirming one of Magnus's choices for consul. So okay. this is where Magnus is essentially an emperor, not a usurper. Fair enough. But, it was easier, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it's all a stalling tactic. This is Theodosius mm. biding his time. However, there was a distraction. Because one day, news comes through of a large number of Goths on the Danube wishing to enter the Empire. They were running from the Huns. Theodosius, probably experiencing some deja vu at this point. Yeah, I'm this. sure this happened in a previous episode. The Huns can't be that bad, guys. Come on. <laughs> Got some in my army. They're, they're quite good. Yeah, they're amazing fighters. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> I hate to fight them. <laughs> so, Theodosius writes to the general in the region with instructions. Last time, the crossing had been a disaster, if you remember. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. It was poorly organised and resulted in many Goths drowning. This fed into the resentment that the Goths felt and contributed to the revolt hmm. that led to the war that had lasted for the last five, six years. Yeah. So this time, build a bridge. Theodosius wants to be careful. He doesn't want a repeat of that. Yeah. So this time, there would be many, many ships. Take That's them good. all in one go. Pick up 
all of the warriors first, mm-hmm. and then pick up all the women and children. <laughs> the gentleman's way. Yes. So, the Gothic warriors were all picked up, put on boats, nice and safe and organised. And I'll quote, When the signal was given, the Romans sailed out large ships with strong oars and sank every boat they encountered. What? It was an utter massacre. The river was choked with bodies. Why? This was ruthless and horrific, but it did free up Theodosius' attention when he needed it elsewhere. Theodosius realised that last time we let the Goths over, it didn't end too well, so let's not do that this time. And he killed all of them. Oh. Yeah. Bit of a ruthless side, as Theodosius occasionally. I'm genuinely startled. I think he's, he's a bit of a humanitarian for a bit. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no. Those women and children who weren't in the boats, they um, were all rounded up and sold into slavery. Uh, yes. So much so that the slave economy collapsed due to the massive too influx of slaves. That's how many slaves they got. Yeah. It was a nasty period of time for the Goths. Hyperinflation of slaves. Yeah. Not great. So as I said, Theodosius needed his attention elsewhere because one thing that was happening was riots in Antioch and Alexandria. Mobs, who were angry at the rises in taxes needed to fund the army to fight the Goths, were tearing down statues of the emperor and burning houses of the officials. Theodosius was furious at this and ordered ruthless countermeasures. Now, Alexandria was settled quickly, but Antioch took longer. Leaders of the mob were rounded up and executed, despite it being Lent. Apparently they didn't execute people in Lent back then. Oh. Well, you give things up. It's full of executions. Well, what are you giving up? I thought I'd stop chopping the heads off people for a month. <laughs> See how it goes. <laughs> Except for every Sunday. Yes. <laughs> but no, this was so bad, they were executed anyway, even though it was Lent. Maybe he gave up something else. Maybe he did. Maybe that year it was crisps. Theodosius, however, was still furious with the city and removed it of its imperial titles and put it under command of a neighbouring city. Ooh... Now, this was never going to work. You might as well just say Canterbury was now in charge of London. (laughs) It it just won't work. When a city is so obviously the capital of a region, you can't just take that away from them. But it does show how angry Theodosius was at the time. Eventually, however, Theodosius' temper cools a bit, and he ordered the harsh execution cease, and Antioch's civil status was to be given back. One guy, head on the block, (laughs) axe coming down and stop! Shop, dump, dump. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll stop after these five. <laughs> and just the last 30 seconds of that guy's head's rolling, going, <laughs> you son of a mother. Yeah. So, everything's settled. The riots are put down. Theodosius is finally able to concentrate on Magnus, which is just as well, because Magnus has just invaded Milan. Yes. And all of a sudden, little Valentinian arrives. Yay with his mother and his sister hoping that Theodosius would help him. Now, as mentioned last week, Zosimus portrays Theodosius as lazy and lecherous at this point, (laughs) only agreeing to help Valentinian after he saw his sister Galla. And I quote, Becoming daily more inflamed with love for Galla, he requested Justina to grant him her daughter. To this demand, she replied that she would by no means accede to it unless he would make war on Maximus to avenge the death of Gratian. 
Uh, Which is ridiculous. Yeah. Nothing we've seen from Theodosius so far implies that he wasn't preparing for this war anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, probably not true. The two did get married, however. Oh. So at some point, Theodosius's wife died. We don't know when, though. Oh, during childbirth of the second on... Han- Honorius. Honorius. Okay, that's fine. So It's great because it's, 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 it's been a long time since uh, Theodosius has seen his brother Honorius, mm. and it makes a long and dangerous journey to the wedding. Oh, does he? But he arrives out of safe and sound, it's fine. Oh, yeah, of course. So, he gets married again. Oh. This way, Valentinian is more secure. And Theodosius has ties to the Valentinians. Yeah. Let's not forget, Theodosius has no royal blood in him whatsoever. So this marriage would have helped him in that regard. He would have yeah. been seen as more legitimate. Now, we've covered what little detail there is of the war between Magnus and Theodosius in Magnus's episode. Yeah. yeah so let's is. just sum it up very quickly. Theodosius attacked with his main force over land, but also sent troops over sea. This divides Magnus's attention. Theodosius was able to defeat Magnus's brother in battle, where the enemy, and I quote, fought like gladiators. Whoa. So lots of blue spandex. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lots of turning to the camera and scowling. Yeah. Why are they climbing that wall? <laughs> Is that a travelator? I think we've mentioned gladiators before. Yeah. If you're not in the UK, seriously, Google gladiators UK. 1993. Yeah. Oh, you're in for a treat. I was watching that a lot at the moment. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, great stuff. Mm. Right. Eventually, Theodosius beats Magnus back to Aquileia, where he was handed over by the city and beheaded. (laughs) Yeah, he was. Theodosius then sends his trusted general Arbogast up to Trier to kill Magnus's son, Victor. The revolt is over. Theodosius was, to all intents and purposes, the sole emperor of the empire. Ooh, okay. Yes, technically, his son Arcadius is Augustus. Yes, Valentinian II's around, but let's face it, we know how useful Valentinian II was. Yeah, but he, he, yeah, Theodosius is just, all the balls are in the air and he's catching every single one at the moment. Pretty much, yeah. He's doing really well. So, question of course is, though, what to do with little Valentinian? Theodosius knew that the West needed a strong ruler and also knew that Valentinian could not give it. He was useless. <laughs> he's like... Three. <laughs> I'm 17. You're are three. you? Are you? <laughs> I want to rule in my own right. Oh, God. Sulky teenagers. <laughs> so, possibly looking at his new young wife over dinner, he probably <laughs> realised that just killing Valentinian was not an option. So, <laughs> like, can I kill her brother? Mm. Probably not. <laughs> She's still annoyed about the uncles. Because of... <laughs> <laughs> so, he pondered the problem for a while and entered Milan. Ooh. Who was she? <laughs> and this is where he meets Ambrose. So if you were to sum up Ambrose from last episode in a couple of words. Yeah. What would that be? Ambitious. Ambitious. Remember he Catholic. <laughs> he stared down Valentinian. He always did. And Justina. And did not run from Magnus. No. Ballsy. Yeah. Full how, of balls. How would you describe Theodosius so far? Similar. Mm. He's not afraid to make choices, is he? Oh dear. And they're about to meet. <laughs> yes. So, Ambrose by this point was more popular than ever. He'd stood up to Arian Justina. He'd not fled the invading Magnus. Not that he was in much danger, of course. Yeah. yeah. Magnus was a devout Catholic by that point, because that's what they were calling it by then. And so was Ambrose. Mm. 
But everyone just saw him not fleeing from an invader and were just generally very impressed with him. So it's understandable that Ambrose, seeing Theodosius enter the city, just assumed he'd be able to dominate this emperor like he had the past two. <laughs> and it was not long before the power struggles begin. Shortly after entering Milan, over in the east on the bank of the Euphrates, a group of monks had torn down a local synagogue. Monks? Yes. Mm. Yeah, we're, we're getting very medieval now, aren't we? <laughs> Laws that protected Jews' right of worship had been around forever, pretty much. And this act of violence and vandalism was seen at best as unnecessary and, at worst, a horrific attack on a minority group. Yeah, yeah. Now, we're not sure where on that scale Theodosius stood, but he didn't see it as good. No. What we do know is that he ordered the local commander to force the local bishop to pay for the rebuilding of the synagogue. But I didn't do it. Well, he, he did. It, it was the well, Christian groups. Maybe he didn't do it with his own hands. I paid hands. someone else to do it. <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> yeah, so Theodosius is essentially ordering the church to rebuild the synagogue for the Jewish community. That's surprisingly nice. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Ambrose was furious. In his eyes, the Jews were no better than the Aryans and the pagans. They worshipped a false religion. If you remember, Ambrose had many good yeah. qualities, or at least ambitious qualities, <laughs> but he certainly wasn't one for other people's religion. So he writes to Theodosius, pointing out that the Catholic God had given him victory over Magnus, not the Jewish God. God. Yeah. And if he forced the church to pay for the synagogue, the true God would smite him like he had smitten the Jews throughout history. Oh dear. Yeah, he was not mincing words. <laughs> no. You will die. Theodosius compromises here. He ordered that the city as a whole would pay for the new building, not just the Christians in the city. Okay. Sounds good. Not good enough for Ambrose. <laughs> he refused to deliver communion until the order to rebuild was rescinded and Theodosius swore an oath that no inquiry would take place over the demolition. Holding sort of religious... Ransom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This to me seems like a tipping point in history. We now have a real emperor with real power and a powerful bishop going against each other. <laughs> Would Theodosius bow down to the church? Well, he's given the impression that he's conceded in the past, but then, you know, turned it to his advantage after that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I would say he might concede to a point, but then, you know. Well, yes, you're right. He does concede completely. Oh. He agrees no one was going to rebuild the synagogue. So that is round one won by Ambrose. One Quite quickly, quickly. It was not long before round two. This one was much bigger. And when I say bigger, I mean bigger. Massive. Yes. It starts in Salonica, where, like most Roman cities, they were obsessed with chariot racing. Yay! The Hippodrome there could seat, in theory, about 100,000 people, apparently. Wow. Which is larger than Wembley Stadium is today. Yeah. There's yes. um, the AT&T Stadium in Florida. That can hold 100,000. Oh, uh, well, I, I did some research. Oh, yeah. I wondered what the largest stadium is today. It's in North Korea, apparently, and seats 150,000. No one's going to go, though, is there? A lot of very loyal North Koreans. Oh, I yes, suppose. of course they do. They clap very loudly. <laughs> yes. And very enthusiastic. So yeah, that, that's where the largest stadium is. And then the second one goes straight back down to around 100,000. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a very big stadium in North Korea. Mm. 
And the point is, people loved their chariot racing back then. Yeah. They did. Now, obviously, it was not maxed out all the time. Yeah. You didn't always get over a thousand people. That was more people than the city itself, probably. <laughs> so um, when people go and see Coventry City, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just never really full. Slightly embarrassingly small yeah. crowds. Yeah. So one day, race day is approaching, and one of the most famous charioteers was arrested. We're not certain what for, but having sex with another man was somehow involved. <laughs> and it may or may not have been consensual. Oh, oh. yes. <laughs> We're not sure whether this was actually a rape charge or just a being gay charge. Okay. Uh, the sources aren't clear. Generally, however, we do know it was scandalous at the time. The public were outraged that their hero was not able to compete in the race and Ooh. started to riot. Now, at the time, the city had a garrison of Goths who had fought with Theodosius. And it was not long before the riots had turned into anti-Goth riots, and the garrison was overrun, and most of the men slaughtered. Their bodies dragged through the streets. Nice. Theodosius, when he found out, was furious. <laughs> We've seen his anger before. Without thinking, and in a rage, he gave his orders. Now, it took a few days for the orders to get through to the city, and by the time they did, things had settled down a bit. Enough that everyday life had returned. The races were back on, and thousands of people flooded into the Hippodrome once again. So everyone's happy now? Everyone's happy. Oh. Everyone's going to see the races. Approximately 7,000 of them. Hmm. The race sets up. It's about to begin. Everyone's looking at the track. No one's looking at the entrances or the exits. And they don't notice the soldiers locking them. Uh. <laughs> it's not boding well, is it? It's not. No. Apparently it took several hours for the soldiers to kill all 7,000 spectators who had turned up that day. By the time they were all dead, another message came through. Theodosius had realised that this response was a bit extreme, and they were not to kill anyone. You just know that there's just a soldier reading that letter in one hand, <laughs> severed head in the other. Oh. Child watching. <laughs> You can survive. <laughs> we didn't kill everyone. Yeah. Oh, I bet he sent his second class as well. He did it on purpose. But Roger, you can go, but put on your, put on your strolling sandals today. <laughs> yeah, this, this is horrific. A terrible massacre. News of it ripples throughout the Empire. Anger builds everywhere. In Milan, Ambrose heard the news and immediately leaves the city, straight away. He just leaves Milan. And he writes to Theodosius saying that he could and would not issue communion if Theodosius was present. Ooh. And I'll quote, Can that which is unlawful when the blood of one innocent is spilt be lawful after spilling the blood of so many? I think not. Ambrose not happy. No, he's not. Understandably. Yeah. I doubt anyone's happy. <laughs> Children, the men, the women. Yeah. So Ambrose, realising that Theodosius was a devout Catholic, was able to strike fear of excommunication into the emperor's heart and demanded that Theodosius somehow redeem himself. Shortly afterwards, to the shock of everyone, Theodosius arrives at the Cathedral of Milan, shed himself of his imperial robes, and spent several months praying, moaning, wailing and grovelling for forgiveness. Wow, no did emperor do that. Yeah, he essentially spends months working as a skivvy in the cathedral. 
Wow. In rags, begging for forgiveness. This not only shocks the Empire, but also cemented in the minds of everyone that the Church was superior to the state. Yeah. Round two to Ambrose. 2-0. This isn't boding well. By the end of 390, Ambrose forgave Theodosius, (laughs) and he returned to his position as Emperor. Ambrose's stature by this point is beyond anything of any bishop in history. Theodosius clearly had not just been praying in his self-imposed exile, because when he came out, new stricter anti-pagan laws were passed. (laughs) All of a sudden, he is very, very devoutly Catholic. (laughs) You can only imagine the conversations that were going on between Ambrose and Theodosius in the cathedral. Oh, yes. Well, we would let you out, but I can't help but feel (laughs) all certain laws could be passed. Mm. Just to show that you're truly repentant, of course. And a big statue of Jupiter. I mean, it's just offensive. <laughs> yes. Now, perhaps Theodosius had had enough of Ambrose and Milan by this point. Maybe it's because some new news comes through about a falling out between his wife Galla and his son Arcadius in Constantinople. But either way, he decides it's time to get out of Milan <laughs> and head back to Constantinople. Okay. By this point, Theodosius had decided what to do with Valentinian II. He would send him to Gaul and place his trusted general Arbogast in charge. You rule the West, he said to his trusted general. Just look after the boy. That's all you have to do. Take care of him. Make sure he doesn't die. So, back in Constantinople, Theodosius settles down to some ruling without a pesky bishop around bossing him about. (laughs) There were some internal struggles, and some politicians charged with criminal offences, but not much really goes on for a while. Mm-hmm. With Arbogast in the West, there was room for another close advisor around the Emperor, and this was filled by a na- man named Rufinus, who was promoted to Praetorian Prefect of the East. Rufinus will come into play next episode, so okay. just, just keep an eye on him. Now, the next big thing to happen was when Roger arrives with some shocking news. Hello, sir! You'll love this. Valentinian too is dead. Ooh. Arbogast was insisting it was suicide. <laughs> he fell on the knife. <laughs> Theodosius, shocked and outraged, was unsure what to believe. Gala, possibly suspecting foul play at her brother's death, would have let Theodosius know that she did not trust Arbogast whatsoever. Mm. Theodosius seems to have been a bit more cautious, though. He decided to wait and see what Arbogast's next move was, and just did nothing, just like he did when Magnus usurped. Yeah, but that's, that's good, you're biding your time. Yeah, yeah, he, he never rushed into things unless it was the order of a massacre of civilians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then he thought about it, and he rescinded it. Yeah. Now, Arbogast was still issuing coins with Theodosius and Arcadius on them. He appeared to be loyal, but he was struggling to rule the West now that there was no puppet emperor. Hmm. So as we decided last week, we do think that actually Valentinian committed suicide. Mm. But because of this, Arbogast is no longer trusted. Yeah. He's finding himself in a more and more difficult position. Which is why we, I suggested that Valentinian committing suicide was actually revenge. But it, oh, seems, a hell a, of a, revenge, isn't it? it seems a bit far-fetched. <laughs> Still, Arbogast, he's starting to struggle. People are not following his orders as well as they used to. So, getting nothing but silence from Constantinople, Arbogast decides that the only logical thing to do was to create a new puppet emperor. It's not long before envoys arrive in Constantinople informing Theodosius that a rhetoric teacher named Eugenius 
was now Emperor of the West. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who? Um, He's great I speeches. That's <laughs> great. He, he, he talks well good. <laughs> the envoys wanted assurance of cooperation and peace. Theodosius did as usual, which was not replying. <laughs> He's that person that doesn't reply to messages, isn't he? Yeah, that's who he is. <sighs> but then in 393, he elevated his younger son, Honorius, to the title of Augustus, implying that Eugenius was a usurper. Oh, OK. So, Arbogast and Eugenius start preparing for war. And realising that there was a lot of resentment against Theodosius in the still largely pagan Rome, they used this to their advantage. They were soon repealing all the anti-pagan laws and styling themselves as the last hope for paganism. <laughs> Theodosius, seeing this, therefore, was able to ramp up his Christian rhetoric for his side, and the upcoming war was being sold to the masses as a religious one. Oh dear. Despite the fact it's clearly just a power play. Yeah. Gets people inside, though, and more accepting of it. Exactly. However, on the eve of the battle, bad news. Theodosius was delivered a blow. Gala suddenly dies. Oh, no. His young wife, dead. Why? We have literally no idea. She was putting up a hanging basket of flowers outside the tent. When she received a letter yes. from Theodosius's brother. Yeah. Just informing the family that everything's well with him. It's all yeah. okay. He's feeling fine. Yeah. Healthiest has ever been in his life. Yeah. When all of a sudden... Trying to read the letter and water the plants in one movement. Yep. She loses her footing. She slips because the water on the on the rung. Mm. She lands and she's fine though. Yeah. But then the ladder falls, breaks her neck. Tragic way to go. Tragic. Yeah. So Gala's yeah. dead. Realising that he had no time, Theodosius mourns for only one day before setting off to battle. <laughs> Leaving, and this is important, Rufinus in charge of the boy emperor Arcadius. Ooh. So, the two armies face off just past the Alpine passes into the northwest of Italy. Theodosius approaches Arbogast's troops warily. He knew full well how good Arbogast was as a general. Arbogast had served under him for many years. Theodosius knew this was going to be tough, and Arbogast had chosen a very good spot. He was covering the mouth of a valley and also have the high ground on either side. And if you've seen Star Wars Episode 3, you can't beat someone on the high ground. No, definitely not. Theodosius's troops would have looked all around them to see themselves essentially surrounded on three sides. Oh dear. <laughs> Theodosius began the battle, decided that a full charge at the front of Abigail's line would be best. He knew this would be tricky, almost suicidal in fact, but worth the risk if it worked, because it would break Abigail immediately. So who best to go on this almost suicidal mission? He decided that his gothic mercenaries would be best. Oh, is this where it's all going to go? <laughs> the gothic dead soon littered the battlefield. Oh. They failed miserably to weaken Arbogast's line and were massacred. The defeat was so strong that whispers were soon going around the camp that Theodosius was purposely trying to kill the goths in his army. To us, it doesn't sound surprising. <laughs> There's a lot of resentment going yeah. around. This has started very badly. Night falls after a terrible day of fighting. Theodosius realises that it is essentially all over. He spent the day throwing everything he had at Arbogast and failed. The next morning he would be crushed. It's probably best, in fact, if he retreated. Yeah. 
However, Arbogast, being a decent general, realised that this was Theodosius' only choice, so sent a large t detachment of troops around the back of the valley to completely surround Theodosius. But Arbogast did not count on the greed of the commander of this detachment, hmm. who realised that his small force held Theodosius' life in his hands, and therefore the commander could approach Theodosius in the night and demand whatever he wanted for his defection. That's a great idea. Theodosius interrupted from his prayer, which is essentially, please, please, let me get <laughs> out of here. me, God save me. <laughs> Theodosius meets with this man, and for some, they would defect. <laughs> Theodosius, realising he literally has no choice, pays up. Mm. You would, wouldn't you? Oh, yes, you definitely would. This evens things out slightly, but the battle is still very much in Arbogast's favour. Theodosius's men were not confident when the sun rose, but... That is not the only thing that rose. Keep your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> the wind rose also. In true cinematic style, winds of 60 miles per hour <laughs> race through the valley straight at Arbogast's troops. <laughs> Damn, I wish I'd brought my umbrella. <laughs> Instantly, they went from an overpowering force to barely being able to see, let alone throw spears and shoot arrows. That's pathetic. I'm sorry. The wind stopped them. Oh, the, this is not a light breeze. This is your being blown off your feet winds. Apparently their arrows were just being flung back at them when they oh. shot. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, th this, is, this is heavy, heavy wind. In fact, it's known as a borer. It involves warm and cold air reacting to each other on the side of a mountain. It's a fairly common occurrence oh. in this area near Italy. Oh. Yeah, apparently buildings have to be specially made with their tiles because they just don't survive in this area. Oh. Yeah, very, very strong winds. Of course, Theodosius and his followers naturally assume that this borer was sent by God. Oh, of course. And just like that, the battle turned into a massacre. Eugenius was captured and e executed. Arbogast managed to hide for a few days, but soon realised his hopeless situation and commits suicide. Oh dear. Triumphant, Theodosius enters Italy properly and soon meets up with Ambrose in Aquileia. Both of them were happy about how God had crushed the heathens. Ambrose <laughs> recommended clemency to those who had sided with Arbogast, and Theodosius agreed. All round good mood. Yeah. The anti-pagans were put in, back in place, however. No point getting carried away. <laughs> <laughs> however, despite the victory, there were still problems. Once again, Theodosius did not have a ruler in the west, and he really needed to head back east to keep an eye on things. So, he needed to get this sorted. Yeah. He said, whilst coughing slightly. <clears throat> because, you've guessed it, Theodosius was ill. Oh. Just like last time, everyone feared the worst. Theodosius was in Milan by this point, and his younger son Honorius was sent for, just in case. <laughs> Theodosius's trusted general Stilicho, the man who had been negotiating the peace with Shapur III, yeah. if you remember, was promoted to master of the army in the west, effectively taking Arbogast's old role. Yeah. And if there were hopes that Theodosius would pull through like he had 15 years previously, they were dashed. Why? Because on the 17th of January, 395, at the age of 48, Theodosius dies. Oh, that's weird because he just received a letter from his brother. Oh, yeah. Saying he's absolutely fine as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, so. <laughs> Loving kisses to the kids. <laughs> I'm feeling great. Give my best <laughs> to my nephew. Yeah. 
So Theodosius was the last man to rule over an undivided empire. Yeah, I guess Until the West falls completely. Good news, however. He had two sons ready to take up their place as emperors. Yes. We have Honorius in the West, aged 11, (laughs) and under the direction of the very capable Stilicho. Yeah. And we have Arcadius in the East, 18 at this point, under the direction of the equally capable Rufinus. Oh dear. (laughs) But I forgot to mention that Stilicho and Rufinus despise each other. Brilliant. (laughs) And that's how we're going to next week's episode. Brilliant. There you go, that's Theodosius. I'm quite impressed with him. He's the best we've had for a while, that's for sure. He's very interesting, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, let's rate him, then. Fightius Maximus. Okay, we certainly have no more details. I I pretty much said all the details. Yeah. Uh, But we can just highlight what we covered. He fought in Britain under his father. He fought the Alamanni under his father. He fought and beat back the Sarmatians as commander in Moesia. And then the big one. He was chosen to quell the Gothic menace, and he succeeded. In brilliant style. After a few victories, a few defeats, the Goths were stopped. He then defeats Magnus Maximus in the Civil War, and then he defeats Arbogast in the Civil War. Pretty strong. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go through that impressive list again, but I'll do a different twist on it. He fought in Britain under his father, i.e. his father did all the work. (laughs) He fought the Anamani under his father. Again, his father did all the work. He fought and beat back the Sarmatians as commander in Moesia. This is a small bunch of skirmishes. I mean, it's not a full-blown war. The big one, he was chosen to quell the Gothic menace and succeeded. But he didn't really fight that much, and the Goths were not defeated. In fact, you could argue that the Goths won. They got to stay in the Empire where they wanted to be and had to give up very little. Yeah. He defeated Magnus. Fair enough, I'll give him that one. (laughs) He just did. (laughs) And then he defeated Arbogast. Sort of. The Wind and a treacherous commander defeated Arbogast. Let's face it, Theodosius was going to lose that battle if it wasn't breezy that day. (laughs) So how much credit does he deserve here? Well, he was obviously put into a position because he could do the job well. Because even though he fought for his father in um, Britain and the Alamanni, he also did a good job. And, you know, the Samasians, even those skirmishes, he still won. And with the Gothic Horde, he had no other option. Strategically, that's what he sort of had to do, and it worked. It kept them peaceful for a bit. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm... And then wiped them out when he had his chance. So I'm I'm impressed. I consider them wins. Two civil wars, he won. Yes, Yes. there's a bit of luck. But he won two civil wars. He held back an invasion, and he did some other stuff as well. I'm impressed. I'm, I'm going to go for an eight. Yeah, that's exactly what oh, I was okay. going for as well. I think a good healthy eight there. Well done, Theodosius. 16 for Phytius Maximus. Best we've seen in a while. Yeah, I'm impressed. Caprovium Crazium. <laughs> Bit brutal. Well, three things stand out. <laughs> which we have already covered. First one, his reaction to the riots in Antioch were extreme. Yes. He ordered the executions, but did not seem to care too much about personal guilt. He did not worry about who was actually leading these riots. He just wanted people executed mm. to prove a message. Very flash in the pan angry, wasn't he? Yes, definitely. <sighs> yeah, he, no. this sums him up. He's He seems to be someone who gets very angry very quickly, but then calms down. Yeah. So that's the first one. It's nothing huge, but it's there. The other two are big, however. 
<laughs> the second one, the killing of the Goths on the Danube. Ooh. Now, it should be stated that according to some sources, the Goths had actually been paid off, but were planning to attack anyway, so Theodosius had no choice to do this. That sounds a bit of an excuse to me. This definitely sounds like an excuse. But I do have a quote. This produced amongst them an immense slaughter, greater than had ever occurred in any formal naval action. Thus the river was filled with dead bodies and with arms. As many... <laughs> As many of them were able to swim to the bank were destroyed by those who ranged along it. The engagement being ended, the soldiers began to plunder. They carried away all the women and children and acquired possession of all their provisions. Yeah, it's nasty stuff. I mean, yeah. it was just straight-up slaughter. But the reasoning behind it, of it just it's one less problem to deal with. It's cold. It, it's ruthless. It's it's horrible, but it doesn't you sound can crazy. Kind of understand why he does it. <laughs> it's not what I would have done. No. Um. But it's not just insane. No. There's it, a horrible cold logic. Almost a sociopathic logic to it. Yeah. So there we go. On to our second massacre, and that's mm-hmm. al- always <laughs> always a worry. Same massacre too. <laughs> And this one, 7,000 men, women and children massacred whilst watching a sporting event. And I'll quote, The emperor was fired with anger when he heard the news and unable to endure the rush of his passion and did not even check its onset by the curb of reason, but allowed his rage to be the minister of his vengeance. Multitudes were mown down like ears of grain in harvest tide. I get the idea that when Rob, Roger was delivering the orders, even he was a bit... Ooh, ooh, this, this, I've still this, got to do it. I'm but, a professional. But, ooh. There you go. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 just nasty. We, we've not seen just straight-up massacres like this for a while. But again, it's that flash-in-the-pan anger. Yeah. I mean, then after, like, by the evening time, right, I've calmed down now. Right, send a note. It'll be fine. And there is actually evidence that he genuinely did calm down afterwards, and that's not just yeah. something that's being said, because he passed a law soon afterwards saying that any death sentence had to be delayed by 30 days oh. for time of reflection, well, which would not have helped these people because they weren't put on trial. This was just a massacre. Yeah. <laughs> but it shows that he he did regret what he did. Or, because he had to spend his time in the church, maybe something that he had, he had to sign. Uh, maybe, yes, maybe this was <laughs> Ambrose saying, this isn't on. <laughs> I, I'm not going to score him highly. Well, I've, I've got some good saying. Oh, have you? Yes. Okay. As we've also read, already talked about, he genuinely seems to regret his actions. Yeah. Well, at least the massacre in Thessalonica. Not so much the others. <laughs> <laughs> Despite his anti-pagan laws, he was not pulling down and destroying pagan temples and killing pagans. That's true. In fact, he claimed that the temples should stay where they are because they were worthwhile as works of art. Oh, so he appreciated yeah. the finer points of life. Yeah. Now, this didn't stop pagan temples from being destroyed by the public's growing anti-pagan feeling, but at least it wasn't sanctioned by the emperor. And he, yeah, paid to get the um, synagogue rebuilt as well. Yeah, you we get flashes to... of that where you think, yeah, he's a reasonable guy. But then he did also the massacre of 7,000 yeah, people. Yeah, So it's a, it's a tricky one. You say you're not scoring him much. I think he, he has ordered two massacres. He's automatically getting yeah. above five, in my mind. It's, to me, I'm not going to go higher than five. Are you only going higher than yeah. five? He ordered two massacres. I would say, I'd say though, I would argue that... You've also argued, and I agree, yeah, he may have regretted them. Well, yeah, it shows that he wasn't crazy. 
It's a oh, but the opprobrium is certainly there. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, so uh, I'm wavering between six and seven. You go with what you feel. I'm gonna go for six. I'm you gonna go for six. six. Yeah, right. that's eleven for opprobrium crazy. Success ultimate. Okay, interesting one. This one. I would say that he was successful in two main areas. Number one, he was appointed to get rid of the Gothic menace, and he did so. So improve the security of the empire. Yes. Now, we could question this under Phytius Maximus, how good was his fighting at the time, but less so here, because actually he it's his strategic mind and his acceptance of the Goths as a new community, turning them from the enemy to a friend. It's, it's politically very, very well done. Mm. All of the PR stuff he does with Athenaric is very impressive. Yes. Yeah. So the fact that he didn't fight to the bitter end is a very, very good thing. Yeah, that's true. It meant that he could get more troops and fewer men died. Yep. Yeah, so generally, I think he did a good job if you look at the short term. Yeah. Now, I know that there'll be people listening here saying this is quite often one of the things that is referenced when talking about the fall of the West. But that's in hindsight, I think. Well, it is, yeah. At, at the moment, yeah. how's the empire looking? Yeah, pretty good. Stable. Compared to it was. Yeah. Quite stable. So I, I'd say you've got to give him credit for that. Yeah. He certainly did a better job than Valentinian II would have done. <laughs> he was a child. <laughs> And number two, this is something that had been going on for quite some time. There's been a growing divide east and west between yes. the Arians and the Anti-Arians. And he managed more than any other emperor to unite the empire religiously. Officials in the empire were now Catholic in the east and the west. Arianism was, as a force, is pretty much put down under him. It doesn't really recover after this. Yeah, even in terms of socially, that's going to be a, a, a big, a major point. Yeah, now if you're a Nicene Catholic, you would have said that this is very, very successful. So mm. successful, in fact, that when you came to write the history books, you would refer to him as Theodosius the Great. Ooh, that's This is why he's known as Theodosius the Great more than anything else. As you can see, his fighting was impressive, but there were bits that were dubious. <laughs> he also ordered massacres occasionally, but he was undeniably a promoter of the Catholic Church. So yes. the Catholic historians loved him. Yeah. Yeah. Bad, however. As mentioned before, many would have been dismayed, not only at Theodosius's success at promoting the Nicene Creed, but also the fact he submitted to the Church. Many people would have been very unhappy by this. The two things that happen during his rule, the head of the Church being officially put into Rome, and the Emperor bowing down to the Church pretty much leads to the next thousand years or so of fighting between the state and the Pope. I would argue he didn't have a choice. If he'd have fought the church, he would have lost because the social uprising would have been insane. And he just tried to build it up to, to unite it all. He, he didn't mind everything that he's put effort into. He didn't have a choice. Uh, to me, that's his sacrifice. That's his penance. <laughs> that's his walk in. That's his 40 day walk in the in the desert. Yeah. OK, I can see that. Yeah. So, I mean, you do wonder what would have happened to history if Theodosius hadn't have given to, into Ambrose. History could have looked quite different. really do see this point as a, a pivot point. Mm. Um, but yeah, very, very interesting. Again, hindsight. Now, we've said before, with all the religious stuff, it's great if you were that religion. If you weren't, you would have hated it. But I think this, this is more so, though. There's definitely unification going on here. Yeah. So... I don't know. What do you think for his successes? I think quite a lot. He, he stabilised empire from, like you said, from, you know, five or ten years previous, it was a bit wobbly. 
he stabilised it, which at this point seems almost impossible because it's on the way down. Yeah. Um, so I want to give him a good healthy seven. I was thinking seven as well. Yay. Yeah. That's not bad. That is a 14. Image of So what's he look like? Um, I'm going to give him I'm going to give him classic Roman look. I think we've got a bust this time. She said he had busts and they've been ripped down. Um, classic Roman face, big eyes, because why not? One slightly crooked, because he's a bit crazy. I don't, I don't, I don't imagine him smiling though. No, no. But I give him a, a, a cleft in his chin. Looks like a bum cheek. Short curly hair with laurels on it, because they've all sort of looked like that recently. There. I don't think you're too far off there. There we go. Oh, look at his eyes. <laughs> I was right about the big eyes. Yeah. So first of all, we've got the head of a bust. Yeah. <laughs> Either that or he's got a very thin neck. <laughs> well, that's yeah. probably a metal pole holding okay. the bus stop. Big nose. Yeah, it's a big nose. Isn't Large, it? scary eyes. Yeah. Big bouffant hair. Yeah. And from this angle, it looks like he has a tash. Well, I was wondering that. That is either stubbly beard and tash. Yeah. Or it's just corrosion of the bust. I'm going for Tash. No, I know what I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is, I think that's five o'clock shadow. Oh, yeah. Things are a bit stressed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, so there we go. Yeah. But then we've got the other one, which is um, a relief, a metal. Oh, yeah. Metal relief, what do you call it? it has a name. Pictures. <laughs> yeah. Um, he looks slightly sad there. He does. He looks really depressed. He does. That's obviously after the massacre. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what? It's like, they, they did get my second message, didn't they? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Massive halo yeah. behind his head, though, surprisingly. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> interestingly, our first Christian yeah. symbolism. Mm. We have halos starting to appear. Um, yes. Goodness, that's how he got that. <laughs> well, he was very, very sorry. He said so lots of times. That's true. <laughs> Not sure how many times you have to say I'm, sorry for the massacre of seven thousand people, but I'm sure Stalin said the same thing. <laughs> so um, yeah, there we go. That's what he looks like. Okay, um, it's um, quite eye catching actually. His eyes, are scary eyes. Like his pupils are really carved deeply in. Yeah, they are. It's weird, isn't it? Um, I can't say I'm hugely impressed, but no. I'm also not not disappointed. I think this is very much middle of the road yeah, for me. Five, I was thinking. Yeah, I was I was thinking five. So that is a two point five. Image of Facius. So, how long does he last? Well, he battled for like the odd three years every now and again. It is quite. Um, teens, 16 years. Oh, not bad. Oh, really? not bad. 17 years. Oh, yeah. He ruled from 379 to 395. Yeah. We are approaching the year 400. Oh, yes. So, that is a score of 2.13. Interesting, getting the same tempo completo score as Valentinian 2 there. Oh, really? Yeah. And that gives him a total. It's impressive. Go on. We have someone in the 40s. Oh! We have someone firmly in the 40s club. Nice. He has got a score of 45. Wow. 0.63. That's amazing. That is pretty good. So that puts him... It's in the top 10. Wow. He is sixth place. Oh, my goodness. Only Aurelian, Constantine, Diocletian, Augustus... And still bizarrely, Valentinian the first <laughs> is ahead of him. Wow. Yeah, there we go. That but I, 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 I can accept that. That puts him ahead of Trajan. Wow. Oh wow. Trajan, who's quite often like in the top two. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he stabilised the empire. Yeah. Trajan is slipping. He really is. Wow. That was overrated. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I can, I can hear the angry tweets already. <laughs> yeah. So. 
that leads us to our final question today. Do they have a certain je ne sais You've got to give me a reason why he shouldn't have it. And it better be a damn good one. <laughs> um, you could argue his fighting doesn't live up to the great name that he has. That's not the reason why he has the name great, though. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's... Are you, are you okay, yeah. what people usually think of when they hear great. Yeah. But his great was never given for his fighting skills. His great was given for his religious reformations. Yeah, so, good word. Yeah, cheers. Didn't take me a few attempts. I'll edit them out. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, he's not the best we've had. No. But he's better than a lot we've had recently. Yes. And some big things happened. Namely, he essentially started Catholicism. Yeah, he's, from now on, the world's been changed. And that, that's big. Mm. And yes, the word Catholic happened beforehand. And no, the way they're using the word Catholic then isn't quite the same as we use it now because things change. But still, that I mean, that's big. Um, yeah. Your opinions on it, regardless, it, it's a big thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, he stopped the Goths. Yes, he did. And uh, two civil wars. Yeah, I, I, I think we're going to have to give it to him. We've got to have it, yeah. Yeah, I think we do. It's a, we've had a drought recently. Yeah. It's a good job we finally got someone back. And there you go. There's a reason why he was called the Great. Because he gets it. So, for what? Theodosian the Great... Hey! Oh. oh. Hey. <laughs> Ooh. Smoky. Still burns. <laughs> well done, Theodosius. You've earned a Jenny Caesar. And I think well earned as well. Yes, and make the most of that. <laughs> it may be the last. Yeah, I, I don't want to say there will be no more. Maybe <laughs> when we really look into it, there'll be some that impress us, but... <laughs> you never know. It would not surprise me if that's the last one until we start season two. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. Maybe there'll be one. Maybe there will. Let's just have a quick look who we've got coming up. No. No. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Who? Um, <laughs> not sure we're doing him. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're going back to double episodes again, aren't we, soon? Well, we've got the Theodosian dynasty. It started well, hasn't it? We'll, um, we'll see how it continues. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so we've got, got six or seven depending episodes okay. of the Theodosian dynasty. And then we move on to what's collectively known as the last emperors of the West, who, well, uh, let's wait and see, shall we? <laughs> Brilliant. There's a reason why not much time is dedicated to okay. them, shall we say. But I'm, I'm still waiting for a hidden gem. I'm really hoping one of them is just actually amazing. It's just I've never noticed before. <laughs> oh <dear. laughs> hidden deep, deep inside of the research. Augustulus. I mean, come on, surely he'll get it. He's the last well, one. He should, yeah. yeah. He fought zombies, if that film's correct. Oh, no, that's another one. Is that a different film? Yeah. So that is a Jenny Cesar this week. Oh, it's yep. always nice to get one, isn't it? It is. And Still smell the burning. Oh, yes. And that is the end of our show this week. Thank you very much for listening. Yes. Thank you to all of those of you who has contributed to our podcast in one way or the other, leaving reviews or joining our Senate. Uh, don't forget you can download us on Podbean, iTunes and Stitcher. And we, last week we featured on the main oh, we did. We site. Did. It was quite yeah. nice. Yeah. Got a few new listeners. Yes. Yes. Spread the word as well. Yes. Spread, tell everyone. Tell everyone you've ever met. 
Mm. Yes, that would be very helpful. And also, tell us your favourite emperor. And tell us whether you think, you know, if you give them a Gene Caesar, do you agree or not? Yeah, yeah. If you disagree, then let us know. Yeah, you're wrong, but yeah. let us know anyway. And if you think Jamie's the best person in the world, then let him know because it inflates his ego. Yeah, because it's very small. <laughs> <laughs> right. And all that needs to be said. Oh, no. What? His brother just died. Oh, no. Heart attack. Oh. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> just to get down in front of you and tell you how sorry and how remorseful I am for all those people that I needlessly killed. You must repent. Please, what what must I do to repent? First, spend several months groveling within the cathedral. Of course, of course. And those anti-pagan laws. Yes? Could could be ramped up a bit. More? Yes, yes, more, I'm thinking. Okay, okay. And um, my cart's looking quite dusty at the moment, so get that cleaned. And uh, me? your soul will be in a better condition if... Well, just looking around. Yes, I'm in awe. Yes, I'm seeing the whole cathedral in a mint green, to be honest. So if you could put up a fresh lick of paint, that would be ideal. The, the whole yes, cathedral? That wall there, knock yes. that down. Huh? Um, and uh, I'm thinking big windows. Big stained glass windows. That's what I'm looking for. So if you could do that and... Uh, the, the whole cathedral? Yes. Well, we're knocking through to next door, I think. We don't need that building. Oh, what? My palace? Yes, that one. But I think... that's where I keep all the orphans. Oh, that can go. That can go. So all that, seven Hail Marys, and I think we're done here. And you're sure that's what it will take for God to finally forgive me? What? I've got no idea. But it's what it will take for Ambrose to forgive. Hail Ambrose. <laughs>